talk about this may contain graphic descriptions and or explicit content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everybody, I'm Key. And I'm V. And this is We Shouldn't Talk About This. Good day to you, Key. A good day to you, sir. How are you doing this day? I'm good. It's it's sunny, but it's kind of chilly. I'm uh, in the house. My kitchen light is flashing super fast because it's one of those fluorescent lights, and I think it might throw me into a seizure. But let's let's see if we can power through. Yeah, let's power through that. You know, I I have lots of like um, smart light bulbs. I wonder if they make smart fluorescent bulbs or like LED fluorescent size bulbs. I'm sure they do. I wonder that that's a good question because this flickering is driving me slowly insane. Yeah, it can't be healthy. It can't be. You know what else is unhealthy? What's that? When pissing, well, people go missing. I was about to say when pe- I was about to say when pissing goes meeple, but when people go <laughs> missing, I think that first one is probably unhealthy too. Mhm. But yeah, that's that's something we should maybe we should discuss that today. And you know what? This isn't our first go around with missing people either. Oh no, this is our third. So it's like the trifecta. We had missing people who were found, missing people who haven't been found, and missing people who sadly were found deceased. Yeah, so that will be today's breakdown, today's journey, today's stories. Yeah, and mine is kind of weird. Like, I guess, I don't know, it's all about like your personality and family dynamic in this story because I don't think anybody in our family could be missing for this long and nobody knows oh my gosh all right I am ready to hear about this then all right well gather around children it's time time for tell a crime crime. well my story is about Pia DeVita Theronkamp who was born September 16, 1965, in Boston, Massachusetts, to Joseph and Marie Ferenkoff. She was one of 10 children. Could you imagine? 10. One of 10. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine? No, I have a trouble remembering my siblings' names. I know. You only got three of them. Well, you know, seven if you in- include your, your step-siblings. But still, still, but Pia was very smart, but kind of a loner in high school. She was the treasurer of the National Honor Society. She was always reading, her mother Marie said, uh, to a university newspaper article. When there was no other books around, she read an encyclopedia. Again, could you imagine just reading the encyclopedia for fun? Nope, I surely could not. And for you young listeners, Google what's encyclopedias. Because I know you probably don't know. Yeah, think about Wikipedia, (laughs) but in a large, large book. And there were volumes, like 30 of them. And that's how you did your research. At a library with Ethernet cables, not Wi-Fi. 
or the Dewey Decimal System before internet? Dewey Decimal System? I don't know what that is. You don't know what the Dewey Decimal System is? Oh my gosh, I'm really aging myself. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So back to the story. Let's get off of this topic. (laughs) Besides getting good grades, Sparenkopf painted and drew and won an art award while attending high school. The Boston Globe reported the award in its January 17, 1980 edition. However, tragedy struck in 1981 when their father, Joseph, died while Pia was still in high school. Undeterred, though, Pia received a college scholarship at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, and began attending classes there in the fall semester of 1983. She attended UMass Boston on and off and took classes at nearby Bunker Hill Community College in 1985, but she didn't graduate from either school records show. By the 1990s, though, she was working for a technology company in Little Rock, Arkansas, programming banking software for loan applications. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, in the 1990s, she was programming software and she didn't even graduate college. So she those encyclopedia readings must have really paid off. Oh, yeah, it seems absolutely. like she was very smart. So Pia traveled extensively to Scotland, England, and around the U.S. for her job. She was well-paid and saved much of her money. We worked in the international division, so everybody in that department traveled a lot. A co-worker named Joan Gill Strack recalled, it wasn't unusual for people to be gone for a month and then come back for a week or two and then be gone for another month or two. The two became close and Strack visited Michigan shortly after Ferenkoff moved to the state in 1999 for her career. Now, Pia didn't have a lot of friends, and that was just fine with her, Strack said. She was a very private person, and she didn't want a whole slew of people around. She never married or had children. Now, according to Strack, Pia didn't talk much about her childhood or family, but she kept in contact with some of her siblings, including a sister who lived in Arkansas. But even when she was in touch, it was on her terms. Siblings recalled long stretches of time where they wouldn't hear from Ferenkoff, who would often not return phone calls. Both Strack and Pia's sisters said she didn't always answer the phone or return calls. Even when uh, one of her sisters died in 2007, the family was unable to reach Pia. However, Pia, by all accounts, was doing well. She continued to work at Pontiac Fidelity National Information Services, where she was an exemplary employee. In 2003, she began to plan to open a small business of her own, a fitness business in nearby Waterford called Slender Lady. Uh-huh. And Wait, do you, do you know who Slender Man is? I've heard of Slender Man, yes. Interesting. Slender Lady. Mm, you may continue. Yeah, maybe she would have rethought the the name. Maybe, possibly, but that's what she wanted to call it, Slender Lady. She struggled with her weight throughout her life, and that may have been the motivation behind the business. Now, it's unclear what happened to the dream for Slender Lady, 
but court records indicate that the venture did not end well. Ferenkoff did not respond to a lawsuit in 2005 charging that she had broken the lease in Waterford. The company that sued was awarded more than $101,000 in a default judgment, although it's unclear how much, if any, was ever collected. But they were not the only company seeking money from her. Three lawsuits filed in 50th District Court in Pontiac from 2005 to 2007 accused her of not paying credit card bills. With accumulating interest, the companies received judgments totaling more than $15,000. Court records from the two later suits, both filed in 2007, had a recurring theme. It was hard to reach Ferenkoff. Occupant has been refusing to answer door and evading services, one court document said. Another handwritten note will not take mail out of box or answer the door. Ferenkoff's Homeowners Association also began obtaining liens against her for unpaid dues, eventually totaling about $2,400. Now here's where I'm mad. I refuse to live anywhere where there's a homeowners association. You are not going to make me pay you to tell me how to live in my own house that I pay for. Yeah, that's very, I don't know, that's very weird. I refuse. Because, like, that's just, like, the most, like, oh, we care about what people see on the outside kind of thing. Like, why do, like, why should anyone care what anyone else thinks, first of all? Like, it's your house, your land. If you want it to be messy, let it be messy. If you want to have Bermuda grass, have Bermuda grass. Like, it doesn't matter. It's your stuff. Don't. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It's so stupid. Now, I can I can understand like you know they want it for the aesthetic of the neighborhood, but I'm not going to pay an association to tell me, oh no, your house can't be this color. Your grass is too high. You can't plant these flowers in front of your house. Like, that's crazy. People stop buying into this homeowners association racket. Okay, off my soapbox. So, police showed up at her home in 2005 to check on her. Neighbors have reported they hadn't seen her in a month and shut off notices were on the porch. Inside, her cat Bungie and white poodle baby, pets that she adored, were found abandoned, a police report said. It's unclear where Ferenkoff was, but there was no record she ever tried to reclaim the animals. Now, in 2008, Ferenkoff resigned from her job abruptly without giving anyone much explanation. Pia's friend said she had no direct knowledge of what happened, but heard that Pia tried to retract her resignation and was told no. The month she resigned, her bank account had 87000 $199.80 in it, according to a report by the Oakland County Sheriff's Office. No more deposits were made after that. It's unclear how she spent her days after she stopped working, though. Like, she was that much of a recluse that nobody knows what she was doing after she quit her job. Man, that's crazy. Now, all these lawsuits were happening before she even quit her job so you can kind of see how she 
lives, I guess. Like she wouldn't open any mail, wouldn't answer the door for anybody. Lawsuits, everything. She just ignored everything. So she was pulled over in October 2008 and cited for driving with a suspended license, expired place, and no proof of insurance. On February 2000, February 25, 2009, $1,500 was withdrawn from her account, and it was the last deduction she made. Deputies have not found anyone who saw her or had contact with her after that date, but her life was so carefully regimented that things could have set off alarms didn't for years. Her mail didn't stack up. Her lawn was mowed. Her driveway was cleared of snow and many of her bills were paid automatically. Now, as far as the mail thing goes, the letter carrier, Kimberly Montez, said that Ferenkov had approached her at some point, she didn't say when, and told her to stop delivering her mail because she paid her bills online. Montez says postal service policy and federal law prohibits her from halting mail deliveries. So Ferenkov would let the mail remain in a mounted mailbox on the house until it was too full for any more and Montez then collected the pile of mail, took it back to the post office as unclaimed. Wow. So, so they're making her job really hard. Right. So she would deliver as much as she could. Pia would never open it, never take it out, just ignore it. And then eventually the mail would disappear because she would take it, the mail carrier would take it back to the post office. Now, neighbors didn't see Ferenkoff much, saying she rarely had visitors and would leave her home for long periods of time and kept to herself. If you would wave or say hi when she drove by or went by walking her dog, she wouldn't really respond, a neighbor wrote in a statement to investigators. One neighbor told police in a statement that Ferenkoff had paid him to mow her lawn, maintaining her yard and shovel her snow for two or three years. He said, I realized sometime around 2007 that I hadn't heard from her because I had a riding lawnmower. I continued to mow her grass because of the effect of not doing so reflected negatively on the appearance of our lawn as well as our street and neighborhood. I also continued to remove snow as well because she appeared to have moved and it allowed me to park my truck in her driveway for the duration of time, he wrote. Never did I encounter or see any unusual activity at her home during this time. Now, when that man moved in 2013, another neighbor, a woman, took over her yard work also for free. She said, I mowed the lawn to keep the neighborhood looking neat and clean and for my safety. If this house looked vacant, burglars would target it and then look at my house. Each month, payments for many of her bills were automatically withdrawn from her bank account, including her mortgage, which was $1,088.89. Her last house payment was March 1st, 2013, and that's what started this series of events. So, five months earlier, neighbors had reported Ferenkoff's house had a huge hole in the roof. An inspector with Pontiac's Department of Building and Safety 
went to the home and put a notice on the door for the owner, but the inspector didn't have the authority to enter the house. However, when her mortgage payment stopped and the house was foreclosed on, workers were sent in to preserve the house. So in January, that would be January 2014, the mortgage holder sent two men to inspect the house and garage and take photographs. They went to the garage and one of them opened the door of a 2003 green Jeep Liberty, searched for the registration, and then left. They reported nothing unusual. Then, Trademark Property Solutions was hired to make repairs, and two other men were dispatched to fix the hole in the roof that was allowing raccoons to nest there. They were also supposed to take photos of the house and garage. Now, on March 5th, 2014, Matthew Anderson and Charles Goff walked into the Tugark garage and saw the SUV parked there. Goff later told deputies he saw what he thought was a Halloween mask in the back seat and opened the door. It smelled like death, Goff said. The pair ran from the house and called 911. Oakland County Sheriff's deputies arrived on the scene and made a stunning discovery. Pia Ferenkoff, dressed in a black jacket, blue shirt, and jeans, was slumped in the back seat of the SUV, her knees behind the driver's seat. Her body was mummified and was frozen to the back seat. Spiderwebs coated the inside of the vehicle. More than $500 in cash was found in her pocket. The key was partially in the ignition. The Jeep still had two and a half gallons of gas in the tank. About 200 pieces of unopened mail were scattered inside the SUV postmarked from 2005 to 2007. Near her body was an almost empty bottle of wine with no fingerprints on it. Now that's weird. And empty cigarette packs littered the garage floor. The house was a mess. The sump pump had stopped working and black mold crawled up the walls. The rooms were strewn with clothing, mail, and other debris. Trash, including dozens of two-liter pop bottles, were scattered across the floor. It appeared Ferenkoff, who lived alone, died in early 2009, said Oakland County Sheriff Michael Bouchard. Deputies checked credit card activity, subpoenaed the bank, phone, and health records, searching for clues, and created a timeline of her last known activity to try to narrow down when she died. Okay, so Pia was mummified to the backseat. That is a disturbing image. Yes. Oh my gosh. So, we looked at extensively into a variety of things, said Bouchard, calling the investigation massively thorough. Bouchard said nothing found at the scene or during an autopsy made investigators think anyone had harmed Ferenkoff. There were no signs of forced entry. No wounds from stabbing or gunshot and no note left behind, he said. The medical record showed that Ferenkoff, who was 44 when she believed to have died, smoked a pack and a half of cigarettes daily, drank alcohol, and was worried about her liver and back, according to the investigator's report 
obtained by the free press through the Freedom of Information Act request. Cancer, heart disease, high blood pressure, and kidney disease run in her family, the report said. There was no trauma to her body, so it only leads to a couple of conclusions, Bouchard said during the interview. Either it was a medical situation that led to her death or something self-induced. Dr. Bernardo Pancras, the Oakland County Deputy Medical, Medical Examiner, who conducted the autopsy, said he was unable to determine how she died. Her organs were so mummified, he said they couldn't be examined. Gross. The possibility of hypothermia or any drug or chemical intoxication cannot be ruled out, he said. Packers said it's unlikely she died of carbon monoxide poisoning because the gas tank wasn't empty. Which makes sense because, you know, if she had died of carbon monoxide poisoning, it wouldn't be two and a half gallons left. It would have ran. It continuously ran until it died. Right. Unless, well, I guess it depends. Well, no, it would have just ran till it ran out. Yeah. yeah. So, as for the position of the car key, Bouchard said the man who was looking for the registration says he may have touched it to check the mileage, but he can't remember for sure. My thing is, okay, they went in January, saw the car, opened it, look for the registration they did not realize she was in the back seat like it didn't they didn't smell it right like because the the other two men who came in mark said it, it smelled like death when they opened the car like did maybe he just thought okay the car's a mess maybe it's food in here somewhere let me just grab this registration and go mm. you know i mean he could have just like literally been like okay because you know sometimes you leave food bags or well not you we know how crazy you are about your car some people (laughs) some people might you know like leave a bag of fast food or like you know an orange might roll out when you buy groceries and you don't know and then it's under your seat and not the orange yes the orange or a potato like anything could (laughs) have you know (laughs) <laughs> potatoes like grow just in the meantime anyway you come back to your car and there'll be seven potatoes there yeah you're like man I left a whole bag of potatoes out here <laughs> like no nature nature <laughs> no but you know I mean I could I could definitely understand especially with the you know the state of the car all the mail around all the trash everywhere in the house and in the garage you know it probably didn't dawn on him that it was a bad bad smell because she was in the back seat they probably thought it was just like all the trash or for all you know i mean for all we know maybe they were nose blind like you know being in the house full of trash and junk and dirt and like stale sitting water he probably just Mm. didn't even realize it after a point yeah and you know he was probably like okay this thing's too let me just grab this registration check the mileage get out of here because i'm ready to go yeah you know, I mean, because did he really have a point to ramble around in the backseat? No. Mm, no. So, some reject the suggestion that Pia might have committed suicide, saying it would have been out of her character. 
Logan, her sister, told the free press that she believes her sister was murdered, though she doesn't have any proof. She thinks her sister's behavior indicates that she was in fear of something or someone. Logan considered asking a TV show that deals in unsolved mysteries to look into the case further. There's got to be something that somebody missed, she said. I just hope people don't give up. Other relatives and friends said they don't know what to think. I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea, her sister LeBlanc said shortly after her sister was discovered. I just don't Logan, understand. Logan, LeBlanc, and Pia? Yeah, they had some interesting names. I wonder what the other seven names are. I know. That's. I would like to know, too. Now, LeBlanc said, I don't understand how anybody would just sit in the back seat of their own car and just stay there. Why would you do that? Which is a good question. Like, was she, she obviously wasn't intending to go somewhere if she was sitting in the back seat. So that's, that's one of the things that kind of is very mysterious. Like, why was she in the back seat? After she was positively identified in July using DNA, Ferencoff was cremated. Her ashes now sit on an organ at Logan's house in Massachusetts near the ashes of her sister and her mother. Her family had tried to call Pia in 2012 when her mother died, but couldn't reach her. By that time, Pia herself had been deceased for years. And unless new evidence or information is discovered, the case is no longer being actively investigated. But that does not satisfy some of Pia's relatives. And that's my story. Dang, man, that's that's a tough one. Right, like, could you imagine, like, okay, now, we know your sister doesn't answer phone calls or text, but if you show up at her door, she answers. She does come by to drop her kids off. We see her. It's like nobody seemed to have gone to her house and been like, okay, it's been way too long. Why are you not talking to anybody? Yeah. Mm. Like, they knew in 2008 she didn't have a job, like, toward the end of 2008. So she didn't have any reason to, like, really just be out of town like she used to. Yeah. So why did not anybody from her family like just literally go that's what I don't understand she was in her garage for all that time that's crazy right now I understand the neighbors like you know she was always standoffish always in and out in and out people didn't see her that much anyway like unless your neighbors are just weirdos they don't have any reason to go like looking in your windows and in your garage and stuff like that they'll cut that grass for you though yeah, she had a good yeah, system with that. You know, that homeowners association was on them. They were yeah. like, hey, get, get. somebody needs to handle this. Said, could you go cut Miss Ferengal's grass again, please? Thank you so much. Or they probably just did it so they wouldn't have to hear anything or, you know, get any notices themselves. Like, hey, you know what? Let's just go ahead and take care of this. Let's just. Yeah, I wonder how they took the news when they heard about it. I know. 
it's it's just strange like you can be missing but literally in your house for that long and nobody knows missing in plain sight right and if she hadn't had such a good job to where she had that much money saved up they would have found her a lot earlier because her house would have went into foreclosure a lot earlier right right But man, I'm you know, I mean, I I wish that they would have been able to find out like what actually caused their death. Cause I think that kind of would have gave the family like some kind of closure and some peace on the situation. Or if some kind of foul play was involved, you know, they would have known to look harder. Yeah. And who was Pia's enemy? That is the question. It doesn't seem like she made enough connections to have enemies. Doesn't seem that way. Yeah. Well, Key, that was a very mysterious tale indeed. I was not expecting to hear about anyone being mummified that was not in Egypt. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that tale with us. Now, my story, I'm going to begin mine with the details because Ooh. this person was missing, but who was it, you know? Right. So, on April 8th, 1981, a group of hunters driving through the Arizona desert saw a denim jacket hanging from a tree near Holt- Holton Road and Interstate 10. The hunters then looked around the area and discovered a body lying on the ground. The body was clothed in denim jeans, white socks with pink pom-poms, a pink, a white bra, blue underwear, blue suede shoes, and a unique blouse that was dark blue and had puffy reddish colored sleeves with a flower design. So, of course, they immediately reported this, and investigators theorized that by the clothing that the person could have been involved in a local county fair that occurred around the time of their murder. Scratches on the victim's body suggested the victim had been walking or running through the wooded through wooded area before their death. After medical examiners conducted an autopsy, it was deduced that the remains were of a young woman between the ages of 18 and 22 who was strangled to death. It was determined that she died one and a half to two days before her body was discovered. She was severely beaten in addition to being sexually assaulted. Damn, that's messed up. Yeah, it is. Like I like like she's like she was only out there for a day and a half to two days, but I guess the hot Arizona sun and her being like beaten, like you know, her her tissue being much softer and whatever. I I guess I don't know. Yeah, that was so. a rough Arizona is a rough rough terrain. You you live in Arizona? Well, I uh I worked out there for three months, mm, so I mm. guess I lived out there in Phoenix when uh when I was a trainer for my job, and it was during the summertime, and it was still like over a hundred degrees at night. Oh, at night? It, yes. Ugh. It was excruciatingly hot, but beautiful. I liked it out there, but man, was it hot! I did hear something. Um, from someone who they had relatives in Arizona and like sometimes you can't touch the doorknob if it's metal 
because you could like fry your hand, you like fry your palm if you grab the doorknob too fast or something like that. I believe it. Like, luckily, I was living in a hotel for that three months, but I definitely, definitely believe that because I like burnt my fingertips on the car door a couple times mm-hmm. because Ouch. there was no like covered parking. So, yeah. And it was like just kind of like a dry, stifling heat. Like, if you just turned your oven on to 500 and opened the door and just stood in front of it for no reason, like, that's the way <laughs> that's it felt Arizona. all day. That's Arizona. Oh, man. So I guess that explains our victim's state of decay then. So even though the body was in an advanced state of decomposition, um, which left her facially unrecognizable, fingerprints and and dental records were obtained. Sadly, though, no missing person cases were a match. So at this point, they deem this woman the Pima County Jane Doe. So, while trying to identify Jane Doe, police police were investigating and compiling a case against a gentleman named John Kohlhauser. He was responsible for the murder of his wife and a 52-year-old man, as well as numerous other violent offenses dating back to 1979. In 1995, while building the case against Kohlhauser, a photograph of a young woman with light hair holding a bouquet was found in his possession. And so now we're going to transport ourselves 17 years in the future, in 2012. Mm-hmm. So after, after an exhumation of the body, the victim's face was digitally reconstructed after her skull was examined via a CT scan. And fast-forwarding another two years, the investigating team matched the lady in the photograph with Jane Doe. And on December 23rd of that year, um, the female's brother, Bill Garrow Jr., received a notification from the police that the female in the picture could have been his sister. And another, almost an entire year later, in September of 2015, the authorities were able to publicly announce that Jane Doe was Brenda Garrow. So who is Brenda at this point? Brenda Marie Garreau was born February 18, 1960, in Nassau, Hillsborough County, New Hampshire, to William Joseph Garreau and Brenda Louise Harriman. Brenda was the oldest of her siblings, and she seemed to have disappeared in around July of 1980 after leaving with John, a.k.a. Jack Kohlhauser, her boyfriend at the time. She had worked at a convenience store as well as a bartender at an establishment in dry cut Massachusetts and often frequent often frequented by bikers. She remained in contact with her family and had at one point called home stating that she would be returning, yet she never did. So her family tried to report her missing, though local police de- declined to cooperate due to the fact that she was an adult when she vanished. I think that's kinda jacked up. I do too. I hate that like <clears throat> I think it's gotten better now, but back in the day, if you were like an, an assumed runaway, they wouldn't report you as missing. If you were like 18 and older, they wouldn't report you as missing. Like they did not care if they thought you were an adult. They just was like, oh, well, you know, 
adults have the right to go where they want to go. Bye. Right, yeah. Ugh, it's crazy. And and that's pretty much it. Um, Brenda was about 5'2 to 5'3 and weighed around 100 to 110 pounds at the time of her death. So she was an itty-bitty girl. And John, a.k.a. Jack O'Hauser, was a fairly decent-sized guy. And so for him to have beat her and strangled her, it's just awful. Um, still, still no, still no like indication on how her jacket was hanging on the tree. I think that's kind of weird. Like, like I don't, I don't know, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of strange. Like, did did Kalhauser do that to to lead people to her body? Because why would he do that? You know. But he Maybe did. she was running and was trying to like throw it at him and it got caught in the tree. Oh yeah, that's possible. That's possible. I mean, dude dude went like another fourteen years before he got caught, and the only reason he got caught was because he murdered his wife and the man that she was uh, having an affair with. So technically he's a serial killer. Yeah, he's he's had multiple, multiple, multiple instances of murdering people. So did they say how they figured it out, other than him having the picture of her? Oh, having having the picture of her, having the picture of her, and then her brother like verifying that she she was dating this man back when around the time where she did when she did go missing. Like that's pretty much it, and and oh. I and like but like her but um but which like hold on hold on what to say, her her murder was not listed on his offenses though when he went to jail, he only went to jail because of the murder of his wife and the fifty two year old man, the one against Brenda he was never charged for that. Right, probably because they they realized who it was so. Far in the future. Yeah, because when did he go to jail? Uh, I think he went to jail in 1995. Maybe okay, like 95, yes. 96. So that was 14, 15 years after. After she was dead, but still another like 14, 15 years, 14, 15 years before they discovered who she even was. Right, right. Because they didn't, like, all this didn't wrap up to, like, 2015, you said? Yeah. Yeah, 2015 is when they got, like, the concrete information that this is Brenda Marie Garreau. Oh, wow, so about but, 20 years then. Yeah, and this was, and what's so crazy is that she was found in Arizona, she was found in in Tus uh Tus uh Tux how do you pronounce it Tucson Tucson man she was found in Tucson Arizona but her family last heard from her in uh Drycut Massachusetts so that is quite the distance just off the top of my head I think that's quite the distance yeah because that's like coast to coast pretty much yeah. so I wonder what you know, like what they were doing, like okay, they said they they thought she was with like the the carnival or whatever had been in town. Mm-hmm. 
So maybe that was what they were doing. They were both working for a carnival. That seems like it would be fun, but really hard. Oh, yeah, I bet. Kind of dirty. Don't let me get me. Oh wait, wait. You said carnival. I was thinking. I started thinking circus. Yeah, because totally. like you got to totally set those. Thing. This is why I don't ride carnival rides because they have to set those things up and pull them down so quick. No, can't, no. can't trust it. Right, fly off the hinges, final destination. Mm. It will not. I will go. I'll watch everybody else ride. I will not step foot on a carnival ride. Mm. Now a theme park. They build those up and let them stay. They do their maintenance, but they don't move them around every couple of days. I can ride yeah. a roller in the theme park. <laughs> okay, that was my case of uh, the unfortunate, uh, the unfortunate case of Brenda Marie Garo. Yeah, that was unfortunate. It's like there's so much unknown. Like where, where was she? Like what? You know, what were they doing? Why did they end up in Arizona? You know, of course, like since she wasn't from around there, they would have, like, if he didn't have that picture, then she would have just remained a Jane Doe forever. Yeah, really. Cause it's like. You know, I don't know how they do the dental record requests, but I would think it would probably be like, you know, for the area that you find the person in, you just assume that they maybe live around that area if you don't know who they are. Yeah, yeah. I never even thought of that because I wouldn't think the dental records are like, like a national database. Records. Yeah. Yeah. So if anything happens to me, I have dental records in Houston, in uh, ooh, South Carolina, maybe. Maybe. Those are probably like super old though. Like all my recent ones are are from Houston, because I've had like my wisdom teeth removed recently. You know, X-rays, all kind of stuff. Like I, you know, good insurance, you get your dental work done. So. Yeah, if anything happens to me, tell them to look for my dental rest records in Houston. Okay, dental records in Houston. Yeah. You got sugar it. Sugar land. <laughs> the land of sugar. So, now that we have talked about mummified remains and missing people who it took decades for them to identify... How shall we end this? Hmm. I want to thank our listeners once again. Thank you. We are Danka. We are recording via Skype right. once more. And uh, we will she, she. attempt to deliver the best quality we can to you. And we appreciate you continuing to listen to us. Domo arigato. Okay, that's like all the languages I can say thank you in. That was pretty good. Did you say gracias? I did say gracias. Oh. But that was, that was pretty good. 
Well, thank you. Thank you. So, yes, definitely thanks to our listeners, the people in our Facebook group, uh, Pam, who, like, you know, interacts with us so much. Our Instagram, WSTAT underscore pod. Our Twitter, WSTAT underscore pod. You know, we still have the email going. If you want to send us anything, we shouldn't talk about this at gmail.com. We're working on a website so that we can get the actual, um, what's that called? The script of what we say. I know there's an actual word for it. Transcript, right? Transcript, yeah. So that there will be transcripts along with all the sources that we use because I know I'm very behind on that and I apologize but I'm trying to get the website together so that the hearing impaired can actually read what we say and you know see the sources to look into it on their own if they're not able to listen that's something that I really want to get into it's just very time consuming and even though we're in quarantine I do still have my regular job so Thank you, everyone, and, you know, life's good. Eat some fruit. Eat some fruit. Drink some water. Drink lots of water. Get some sun. Vitamin D is good for you. It is. Well, I guess that's everything for today. You know, I feel like our... um. Our stories, like, my story was really one that really made me think. Like, I, like, you know, people just really have to be more cognizant of their family and friends, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, not saying it's your responsibility to, like, keep tabs on every adult in your life. But if you know there's someone that maybe doesn't reach out as much or maybe doesn't have, like, a strong family bond with their immediate family, you know, like reach out, like, Hey, you good. And I haven't heard from you in a few months. Just wanted to Mm -hmm. check, you know, why not? Why not? Each one, reach one. Was there very powerful words by key right there? Oh yeah. Even though I'm still going to be, a behavioral analyst. I'm also a psychologist on this podcast and a motivational speaker. That's a a woman of many hats right there. Yeah, I feel like, like, you know, when you ask kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut and a sheriff and a chef and a ninja. (laughs) 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 That's me on this podcast. Right. Boom. Boom. Well, everybody, thanks so much for joining us once again. I'm Key. I'm V. We shouldn't talk about this. Thanks for listening. Bye.